The White House is mandating that federal contractors get vaccinated. Their deadline is coming next month, but it apparently doesn't mean everyone. The Navy is not amending its contracts with the nation's largest shipbuilder to require those shots. That decision affects tens of thousands of contractors. Federal News Network's Scott Mossioni joins me with the latest. And we're talking here, Scott, about Huntington Ingalls. What have they decided to do and how do they come to this conclusion? That's correct. So the leader of Huntington Ingalls put out an internal memo just a few weeks ago saying that they will not be requiring that their employees get vaccinated. Now, those are only the people who are working in the shipyards. If they're working in the technical solutions part of Huntington Ingalls Corporation, then they're going to need to get their vaccines. That's just purely because of of differences when it comes to the contracts. Huntington Ingalls employs about 44,000 people, so this affects a lot of people, including their subcontractors. Now, the reason they can do this is because the federal mandate only applies to service and construction contracts. Now, one of the things that's really in stark contrast to this is that the Defense Department has been extremely uh, strict in getting its service members vaccinated, and the Navy especially has gotten almost about 99% of its sailors vaccinated. That's the active-duty sailors. They have really a no-nonsense mandate, which says if you are not going to get vaccinated, you're either going to be reprimanded or will eventually be terminated from the service. And why exactly is this company getting a pass? Is it because most of the people involved are working on hulls of ships and they're away from everybody else? There's there's some debate as to why this is exactly happening. There's really two reasons that we've seen. One is that some lawmakers, now these lawmakers specifically happen to be ones where the Huntington Ingalls either has them in their district or they have a lot of Defense Department activity in their district, are worried that the mandate will affect the workforce, that people will leave, and therefore national security will be affected is how the line of thinking goes. So this is one, a worry about the really just the supply chain and having enough uh, workers. And the other is just simply national security, staying up to date and pacing with China and those sorts of things as well. Well, getting ships built requires very, very skilled labor. It looks like big metal pounding, but it's actually quite precise. And the welds have to be absolutely perfect to last for 50 years and so on. Is Huntington Ingalls corporately particularly opposed to vaccines or is this just a matter of practicality? We got some of the internal memos from Huntington Ingalls. And in fact, they were trying planning on requiring shots until things were clarified by the Navy. So, you know, they were were basically going forward with this mandate as much as the government required until they, they got some clarification from the Navy. The company's calculations say that 75% of the workforce is vaccinated. That's higher than that, the national average of 59%. Now, the shipyards, some of them are in uh, you know Mississippi, in Newport News, Virginia, which are some of the more rural southern areas, which is where the United States has seen some resistance to getting vaccinated, which may add to one that partly the 25% of people within Huntington Ingalls who have not gotten their vaccination at this point. And no doubt there are critics to this whole situation. What are they saying? Right. Well, really, there's there's two sides to this. One is some lawmakers, as we said, are saying that we need to hold on to these people for national security because, you know, these ships need to get built. They need to build up the Navy to 355 ships, et cetera, et cetera. Others, including contracting experts, some from from academia, are saying that this is really a 
wink, wink, nudge, nudge to the defense industry saying that they'll be treated with kid gloves because they bring in revenue to districts. The DOD has traditionally gotten special treatment in budgets. We've seen in the past the overseas contingency operations budget helped get the Defense Department over sequestration caps so that they could spend more money than what was allowed under that that sequestration without triggering the caps. So this is something that's not necessarily unprecedented in different ways. And what do you know about how this compares to the civilian world? Right. Well, you know, civilian contracts, we've seen more than 12,000 companies agreed to amend their contracts within the GSA to require these mandates. Now, that's not a huge task to amend one contract, but to amend thousands and thousands of contracts really is a pretty big deal. So, um, you know, these are contracts that are not just ones that are, you know, just simple, small things. They're not just getting desk chairs. These are important, vital ones like CDC contracts, everything from HUD to HHS. So, you know, these are ones that are just as important uh, to national security in some ways. So we've seen the civilian contractors really fall in line with this vaccine and, uh, and that vaccine mandate. And we've also seen the federal agencies do the exact same thing. This Defense Department seems to be an an anomaly. And by the way, the Marine Corps has been cited as having the lowest vaccine rate among the military armed services, way behind what are essentially 99 percent for everybody else. What's going on there? What's the latest? What's what's going to be happening in the next few weeks here? That's exactly right, Tom. So we've seen about 5% of the Marines have not gotten their vaccine at this point. Now, that doesn't mean that they're refusing to get the vaccine. 14 members have been granted permanent medical exemptions. We've seen 316 members under temporary medical exemptions, and 452 have been granted temporary administrative exemptions. So that's a a good handful right there. Uh, The rest are going to be case by case. There's been 2,441 requests for religious accommodation and 1,900 um, have been processed. Zero of those have been approved. So the Marine Corps is not fooling around when it comes to these. Uh, They want to make sure that people actually get these vaccinations and actually have a good reason for it. Uh, It seems like the religious vaccinations need to be quite vigorous. Uh, Currently, 79% of the Marine Corps Reserve has at least one dose. So they're on their way. They don't need to be vaccinated until uh, later on in December, so uh, they have a little bit more time until they need to be uh, fully vaccinated. Federal News Network Scott Mascioni, thanks so much. Thank you. Check out his stories at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual actual 
uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. 
That's right. And and I mentioned that I, I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.